Oh, wait, no, we wouldn't be trust busting. We would be like breaking the pickets, right? Oh, God. Um, you get uh, Thrashk uh, and their Pinkertons. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous House Enclave in New York City, I'm your host Shane DeCaneth. And I'm your host Ishan DeOrion. And welcome to episode 228 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on playing non-human characters, but adding a little bit of a twist. We're talking about playing characters with dragon marks. But first, a new day dawns in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Blade of Orion can't be pinned down in the Character Creation Forge. So, Ishin, it's difficult to talk about this subject because this episode is coming out the day after episode the, the second episode of our final arc of our Stream of Blades campaign. But we don't know, because we're recording it before the arc begins, whether or not we're still alive. Yeah, I give it 50-50 odds that we're dead uh-huh and i refuse All to record dead. this twice for two eventualities so <laughs> you know i think we went out valiantly and nobly mm-hmm. it's been a mm-hmm. fun and rewarding campaign slash it's been a terrible and long campaign it was good to go out on snake eyes i uh. think <laughs> right it just meant we deserved it yeah it sucks that rudy rolled so low on all of those advanced checks <laughs> i blame rudy so Stream of Blades is our Band of Blades campaign over on Twitch, played with our friends Rudy, Sally, and Amber, and we are desperately close to finishing. Uh, we probably have one more session next Wednesday at 7 p.m. at twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast, and then we're done. Either the Cinder King wins, or we have staved off our doom, and humanity still has a chance. And then maybe the Cinder King wins. Yeah, but we won't know until the yeah. next book is released. Right. You know, we get a singles winter reprieve. Right. Also, maybe Nyx has been reborn, or maybe that whole plot line was a total waste. Who knows? Who knows? You know, it's kind of like the real world in that we get one winter, and then, you know, probably the whole world burns. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. <laughs> I'm. Thank you for putting together a relevant storyline. <laughs> Of course, you can check out the recaps uh, or like the the replays over on our YouTube channel. Just search Total Party Thrill on YouTube. Uh, or you can join us next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast. All right. So Dynasty Unwarranted has come to some kind of conclusion. Yeah. So Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? <laughs> right at the very beginning. Are we even in it yet? <laughs> nope. Okay, so why don't you set us up? What is the Gates of Morning campaign? <laughs> so with a, knowing that a new Eberron book was on the way for 5e, we decided to return to the Eberron setting that we played in for the Morning Glory campaign, which is recapped through episode 73 of the podcast. Um, you know, it's a shorter campaign that is set concurrently in the same world. So there's a new party, they've got new problems, they're exploring other parts of the setting, but it still ties in with all of the canon that was very greatly changed by the first uh, party. Yeah, this is like the Mandalorian to our Return of the Jedi. 
I'll take it. Um, there's baby Yoda everywhere. Yeah, there's grobs. Who? Uh-huh. I have no, no idea what you're talking about. All right, so who's the party this time? So first off, we have Bramble, who is a shifter bard and a member of the Green Singers, which is a druidic sect trying to protect wild places during the chaos of the last war. And Bramble is played by Angelo, who played Bahar Dimadani, the uh, half-elf rogue in the Morning Glory campaign. Next up is Bramble's sometimes companion Warden, a half-fey moon druid beholden to the autumn court of Thalanus and the Prince of Unfortunate Truths. Shane, did I get that right? That is correct. Unfortunately. <laughs> played by you, in uh-huh. fact. That's me. <laughs> uh, what is a half-fey? Uh, Hafei is an Azamar that has been reflavored. Yep. So instead of angel wings, I got dragonfly wings. They were cool. And I think the only other change we made was that we switched celestial to sylvan for languages. For languages, yep. Otherwise still, you know, necrotic and radiant resistant. Uh, and of course, you played Brand in the Morning Glory campaign. Next up there was Switch, a changeling paladin of the Traveler, called to bring change both to herself and to others no matter the cost. Um, I think those of you who know Morning Glory might not be surprised that this is a character who was played by Susie, who played Lou in the previous campaign, mm-hmm. who I guess was also bringing change to others despite the costs. I was utterly unsurprised myself. <laughs> Next up, we have Zan, the half-elf Hexblade, a battlefield scavenger chosen by a long-dead patron that speaks to him through his glaive. This is actually one of the reasons that we didn't play a sequel to the Morning Glory campaign, but played a concurrent game. It's because this uh, Zan is played by Brian, who is new, who wasn't around for Morning Glory because we recruited him afterward. Right. So he is, uh, I guess his previous character was Trix from Dynasty Unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Then we have Lenore, a human inquisitive of House Thrashk on an important escort mission, played by Steph who was Emery in the Morning Glory campaign. And last we have Vesicod, who is a Kalistar scion, still struggling to come to terms with the quarry spirit that shares his soul. This is played by Jim, who also played uh, Kalik in the Morning Glory campaign. So, just like with pretty much every Eberron game, for nearly a hundred years, the War of Succession has raged across the entirety of Corvair. But on this day... The 20th of Olarun, 994 YK. The Andarian army is slogging across southern Karnath in a push to retake forts recently lost to waves of undead troops. And trailing the soldiers is the usual throng of camp followers looking for the relative safe passage between perpetual war zones, uh, including the party members, most of whom don't really know each other and just happen to be traveling in the same relative vicinity. So... Just before dawn, the army is camped, as are the followers, and the silence is broken by a single sound of a woman screaming, Incoming! The world explodes into fire and lightning as elemental grenades explode all around. And an Ondarian colonel throws the shifter Bramble to the ground, pulling him down out of the line of fire as swarms of Karnathi undead crest a nearby hill and release a salvo of arrows into the camped soldiers and followers. And we'll find out what happens next week. 
So this week we are continuing to use every part of the buffalo uh, with our new Eberron book, and we are going to talk about playing dragon-marked characters, which technically is playing a non-human race in uh, in fifth edition as it stands. Yeah, and you know a lot of the dragon-marked houses aren't human, right? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, mechanically, of course, uh, all dragon marks are subclasses of, or, sorry, Sub-race. sub-races of the um, various races that are permitted to take that dragon mark according to Eberron lore. So, sort of a race. Um, yeah, you could be human, but you could be a dwarf, elf, half-elf, gnome, or half-orc. And I think the important thing is that just in the fluff of Eberron, anybody who has a dragon mark tends to be taken um, by their house and sort of nurtured through that. So most of their cultural touchstones will be tied to their house rather than necessarily their race or, you know, nation of origin. Right. So in Eberron, there are family lines of particular races that manifest what are essentially magical tattoos that grant spellcasting abilities and skill with certain tasks like healing. You can hear a lot more about this uh, just a few episodes ago in our review of the new 5th edition uh, book, Eberron rising from the last war. Yeah, so for millennia, the Dragonmark houses have controlled commerce on the continent of Corvair using their abilities to create monopolistic guilds with each of the 12 families in charge of a different aspect of the economy based on their Dragonmarks. Right, they get abilities like, you know, being better at healing or sometimes controlling the weather or artifice. Mm-hmm. So this has led to the Magitech Society of Eberron with commonplace low-level magic and a pretty like a higher standard of living than most fantasy settings for the average person. Yeah, and also just like a little bit of corporate dystopia. Do 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 do. Dystopia. Excuse me. <laughs> we we are an ancient and noble house. Uh huh. <laughs> but life isn't easy, even for those privileged few who do bear dragon marks, because of course the demands of the house are great, and intrigue and political maneuvering are rampant. So, a little bit of history. Dragon-marked characters first showed up, of course, in the Eberron campaign setting for D&D. They're one of the pillars of the setting, created by Keith Baker back in 2004. And at first, dragon marks were optional feats that granted spell-like abilities, and then you took additional feats along the tree to increase the power of your dragon marks, and then eventually there were prestige classes that widened their uses. In 4th edition, everything got really simplified. Each mark was represented by a single feat, and the racial restrictions for what races could take which particular mark were completely removed. And now, officially back in 5th edition, with the publishing of Eberron Rising from the Last War, they are now sub-races for the specific races that are tied to each mark. Uh, Only half-elves can manifest the mark of storm. Only humans or half-orcs can... um, manifest the mark of finding, you know, that kind of limitation, um, just like it was in 3.5. So each of these sub-races now grants access to one or two spells and a small bonus to one or two skills, as well as a list of spells that get added to the spell list for any of your spellcasting classes. Uh, We actually won't be getting too deep into the aberrant dragon marks in this episode because that's a whole different beast. Yeah, we'll just mine that for content later. You're not wrong. So what are some reasons to play Dragonmark characters? Because I have never played one, so I clearly do not see the appeal, except mechanically speaking, they weren't that good. <laughs> yeah, they were they were better in, in some previous editions. Uh, so 
I think if you're playing in an Eberron game, which doesn't necessarily have to be D&D, right? I think, um, you know, Keith Baker uh, is... Isn't he doing Savage Worlds? Uh, yeah, he um, is uh, friends with some people who run Eberron in Savage Worlds. Uh, but if you are playing a character with a dragon mark, it's likely that you want to be part of a powerful organization or a powerful family that has really deep roots in the setting. You know where you are in Eberron if you have a particular mark. You might also want to be beholden to a powerful organization or family. You might want some of your choice like to be restricted because you have this responsibility and this allegiance. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most common ways to play a dragon-marked character is someone who's trying to get out from under the thumb of their house. And that's an interesting tension you can have with your GM. Yeah, you either have the like make your mark or make your escape, right? Yeah. Like you either lean into your house or you try to fight against it just to have some freedom you could also just want some magical abilities without having to be a spellcaster and i think this actually plays pretty well in fifth edition you just get a few minor spell-like abilities and then some magical ability with particular skills and it doesn't matter what your other classes are right you might also want to be a spellcaster that augments their existing abilities with new ones. So you can get access to spells that are otherwise inaccessible for a given class through your dragon mark. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to be like a, a pyromancer who has the mark of storm, you know, and is resistant to lightning and, you know, can uh, cast some fly spells and control some weather, but mostly they're still burning things with fire. Yeah, it's a great way for clerics to get access to um, wizard spells. Yeah, or vice versa. Uh, it might be that you just want to explore the inner strength of your particular character. The way that dragon marks tend to work within the fiction is that they get more powerful when you figure out how to tap into them, either your inner reserve of strength or you figure out how to like manipulate the mark within your body in order to uh, cause particular effects. Mm -hmm. And then I think you might also be drawn to dragon marks because you want to explore or take part in or be a part of the draconic prophecy sort of the long-running interpretation of events to come that the dragons um, foretell for civilization yeah there is no canonical answer for why dragon marks exist in the eberron setting which of course is one of the reasons that we really like the setting but one of the reasons posited specifically by dragons is that the prophecy is now being written on the bodies of mortals and you know mm -hmm. how do you go about interpreting that so physiology you have a dragon mark. It looks like a magical tattoo. The color is usually bluish green, but that may change. The shape also might change a little bit when it is used. And there are varied sizes. The smaller it is, the less powerful it is, the larger it is, the more powerful it is, the more abilities it has, and probably the higher standing you are in your house. Yeah, so it can be anywhere on your body. You kind of have to ask the question, where is yours? I, I also think it's pretty important to like keep in mind here that well so one the art all depicts it either on your forehead or on your hand right. which is because <laughs> it's easier to draw there i think just better to retrofit um but i think it's important to keep in mind that like dragon marks are known they are recognized they have a distinct pattern like people in eberron like perhaps not common folk but people who know things in eberron will recognize a dragon mark in no time and know which mark it is Commoners would probably recognize a magical tattoo as a dragon mark with no problem. Right. Uh, so keep that in mind. If you put your dragon mark on your face, for example, yeah, or on your never... arm and don't always cover up. 
Right. You'll never hide your allegiance if it's on your face. Right. The dragon mark can't be removed and it can't be escaped. So if the mark itself is cut off, if your skin is flayed from your body, the mark still eventually grows back. If the body part that it's on, like an arm or a leg, is actually cut off, it'll manifest somewhere else in your body. If you're reincarnated and you get an entirely new body made of magic, it has the dragon mark. Yeah, which is interesting because you could change race and reincarnation, but you cannot change your mark. Right. It's uh, one of the only canon ways to get a mark on a race that isn't affiliated with that mark. <laughs> and min-maxers rejoiced. <laughs> oh, I met a druid. <laughs> <laughs> They had healing spirit, they had reincarnate. God, I love druids. So the other thing about physiology to remember is that you are physically different from other members of your race. You're you're physiologically primed for a particular task, and you have magical abilities that make you even better at that task. Right, like if you're a human with a mark of finding, you have dark vision. You can see in the dark. No other human being can do that naturally. If you're a half-elf with a mark of storm, you are resistant to lightning damage. That. That's weird. That's the thing Genasi have. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, of course, at the same time, if you look at the stats, for example, uh, you'll usually have stat increases that uh, correlate with the kind of work that your uh, house does. So a Kanath human gets a plus two to intelligence. You are smarter than the average human, just in general. Danaeth humans get plus two to constitution. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And then the marks tend to manifest around puberty or after that under extreme stress. So there's a question for you. How did yours manifest? Or perhaps has it manifested yet? Yeah, if you're young, it may not have. And (laughs) every house has what's called the test of Sybaris, which is they put you in a very stressful situation, perhaps even life-threatening, to see if your mark is going to manifest. Uh-huh. That seems great. Yeah, it sucks to be a 13-year-old in a house. (laughs) Parents in a house, you're screwed. (laughs) All right, so culturally, there are 12 different houses. I mean, 12 current houses. Uh Each one is different depending on the role that they have. You know, so Kenneth values intelligence and craftsmanship. Kundarik values people who have sharp eyes and can keep a secret. So, I mean, Kenneth being the mark of making and the Artificers Guild, Kundarik being the mark of of warding and being the bankers. So ask yourself, and also, you know, look at your sheet or when you are building your character, decide how good are you at the skills that are valued by the house? Are you good at artifice if you are a, uh, a marked Kenneth heir? Mm-hmm. If you're not good at it, how do you feel about that? How does your family feel about that? So if you are not necessarily good at the preferred skills of your house, what does that mean for you within your house, right? Like in Kenneth, it turns out that all the heads of Kenneth are expert level uh, artificers, right? Like the quality of their craft is what has allowed them to rise to the top. Whereas like in other houses, perhaps being good at politics is still enough to get you to a powerful place in the house, even if you might not be able to lead the house right like your ability to steer an airship is not all that important to house lorander it's very important if you're a low-level member of house lorander yeah trying to work your way up yeah uh but yeah you're right politics diplomacy persuasion are probably more important for many of the houses um you know galanda jurasco mm-hmm. uh but culturally each house 
values particular things, and if you are not good at building things, you will never lead Kenneth. Because, I think it's important, they are all highly invested in maintaining their monopoly, and they are also sort of always competing and trying to muscle in on the territory of the other houses. Yeah, House Lorander created airships only about a decade ago, and House Orion, which runs the lightning rail and the caravans and delivers the mail, hates that airships exist. Which is why... Kenneth helped them both. Yep. <laughs> uh, if House Vidalis, which um, you know is known for animal handling and creates mage-bred animals, if they somehow bred a snake that could heal instead of poison people when it bites them, Jurasco would definitely have something to say about that. And it might be public. Actually, it probably would be public. And then also, there were probably assassins involved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the houses do work together when necessary. So like, you know, the Tower of the Twelve was built by all of the houses in in concert together. Yeah, so they had a place to work on Dragon Mark specific arcane magic. Right. But the competition is is built into the way that the houses interact with each other. Like you can't even marry in between families to form alliances because the offspring are much more likely to have aberrant marks, which nobody wants. Right. And then of course there are the Korth Edicts which came into play uh, before the last war, which basically said, okay, all the dragonmark houses are large corporate entities. Um, they, they run the guilds across the continent. But because of that, in order to make them, in order to keep them from being too powerful and competing against nations themselves or the empire, they must be neutral. So now all the houses must technically maintain neutrality. Uh, heirs can't own property. You can't hold a noble title. But of course, after the war, the hold of the Korth Edicts is failing just a little bit. There's a lot more wiggle room. How do you feel about them? How do you feel about these restrictions? You might argue that during the war, it was already failing. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> we, look, we were very neutral. We were selling weapons to all sides. <laughs> Cam all didn't five sell any, sides. any super weapons, weapons to three of the sides. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> That just means there's two that haven't been revealed yet. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about family ties. I'd say in the house, the thing that is prized above everything else is loyalty to the house itself. So as a Dragonmark character, you need to ask yourself or decide, how do you feel about the house and where is it that you stand within it? And there are a couple of options for this. You could be favored. Um, that either means that you are probably an agent who is actively working for the house. You may even be sent on missions. You may have a patron in the house. And maybe that's you and everybody else in the party. Or maybe that's just you and that sometimes comes into conflict with what the party needs to do. You could also be a scion of the house, which means you bear the title um, and you're a representative. But you're off like adventuring separately from necessarily house business, right? Sometimes you just need good people doing good things in the world. Yeah, it's like you're the, you know, fourth son of Queen Victoria. Like everybody knows who you are and you have to behave yourself because it will reflect poorly on the house if you don't. But, you know, you're not always on a diplomatic mission for for, you know, England. You could also have a pretty tenuous status in the house. And that would might be either if you are what's called an orphan, that's an heir of the house who decided you don't want to have anything to do with the house. You you left the house because you wanted to marry someone who, you know, wasn't chosen for you because, you know, there was an arranged marriage to improve the bloodline. Mm -hmm. uh, someone who left and said, all right, I give up my titles. Um, I give up the money. I, I just want to go live by myself and not deal with all of this intrigue. Like, 
I'm actually terrible at hospitality. I hate people and I want to be a hermit, live off in the blade desert. Yeah, to their credit, the house is, you know, there's more than one way to leave. It's not just in a body bag. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it does mean that you can't use the name. You don't have the ties anymore. You you don't have the resources. Like you're supposed to go away and hey, you still need to make sure who you have kids with. Like you still need to be careful about who you have kids with because the house will be watching. Right. Uh, You could also be a foundling, which means you've newly discovered your mark and you haven't necessarily cut ties with where you came from to go join the house yet. Um, This is sort of a weird thing in Eberron where you don't really have a choice. Like you're not necessarily a kid anymore, but you will be leaving your home and you will be working for, you know, your house now that you've manifested this dragon mark. Yeah. I mean, you could be living off in the woods wherever and suddenly you have a dragon mark for whatever reason, right? Not everybody who is part of the bloodline manifests a mark. It could skip a few generations. You could be off in the Eldian reaches and suddenly you develop a mark. The house will find out and they will come for you and they will make you an offer you cannot refuse. Right. This is also sort of where you fit in if you don't have a dragon mark, but you do have a familial tie to the house, right? Like the the unmarked child of two dragon marked people would likely still work for the house and be a member of the house, even though they aren't marked. Right. About half of the people who are part of any given house are physically marked. Like actually have a dragon mark. But the problem with that is like, you can only go so far in the house. Like not having a dragon mark means you are not an ideal representative. There is no leader or senior member who doesn't have a mark. Yeah. And also you're not good breeding stock either. Right. Like you are not getting a favorable marriage out of this. No. And then lastly, you could be completely vilified by your house. That is being what is called an excoriate. And that is because back in the old days, if they kicked you out of the house, like physically exiled you, they cut the dragon mark off of your skin. And if you survived, then then you were exiled. Mm-hmm. That's how we know that they grow back. <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. Keep your mark, lose your hand. Ooh. So excoriates are not usually hunted down typically by the house, but they are persona non grata. They cannot use the name. Um, Any house member who comes across them shuns them, essentially, and will actively uh, try to foil any plans that they're working on. And they're not going to be able to get the benefit of any normal house membership that even like a a regular commoner is going to be able to use. You can't stay in a Galanda Inn. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think you also can't be seen to be working against the house in any way or they'll just mm-hmm. come down hard on you, right? Like you have to be constantly aware of what you're doing and how it can be perceived. Yeah, I mean, if you are working against the house, then they will probably just murder you. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> houses are full of political maneuvering, which is including and up to and including murder. <laughs> Straight up assassination. I mean, there are two houses of shadow. Uh, They are definitely spies and assassins. That's their actual job, not bards and entertainers like they say. Right. (laughs) So remember that each house is formed of multiple family lines, you know, people who are actually related to each other through blood. And there are probably in each house between one, maximum three family lines that are actually in charge. And that can change with internal coups or, you know, different people ascending or different people becoming the political, if not the like genetic heir of whoever is currently in charge. Mm -hmm. 
So think about where is it that you stand in this sort of complicated web of fealty and succession? Are you one of the main family lines? Are you not at all? And there's no way that you're going to be able to, to ascend to house leadership. And what is it that you ultimately stand to inherit? Yeah, I like this because uh, either way it sets you up for adventuring, right? Like if you are sort of low in the house, you could be adventuring to go make your mark, um, so to speak. Or if you are pretty well positioned in the house, like maybe this is the thing that proves you have earned your spot or mm -hmm. the, the thing that puts you over the edge to kind of like take you into the highest echelons of leadership. Right. Or you're clinging by your fingernails to house membership and you've got to do something as a last ditch effort. Right. Notice me, senpai. <laughs> All right. So how do Dragonmark characters interact with other people? I think the most important people that you're interacting with typically are other members of your particular house. Yeah. So think about how you interact with other people who are marked versus members of the house who are not. Um, like you said, only about half of them are marked. So um, if you are, that elevates you and your family. How do you take that elevation in status? How do you treat people who are socially inferior? And remember that your entire life, you've been treated like you are just straight up better than someone who does not have a mark. Right. By all of the people who are around you and like your literal family. Like you've also grown up in a house enclave because house members can't own property. Well, maybe. I mean... You know, 13 years you might not have. Right. If you're like 13, 14, right, people are beginning to ask questions. Are you going to manifest a mark or not? What's going on? What's yeah. taking so long? But even, I mean, even if you're like, you know, in your 20s, like half of your life you lived like a normie and half of your life you grew up in a house. Well, probably people were very obsequious before you were 13 or 14 because they're just going to hedge their bets and assume you were going to manifest, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also pay attention to who your rivals and your allies within your house are. Um, like we said, you know, lots of political maneuvering. It's good to know who's on your side, who's on your family's side and who isn't. Yeah, this is helpful even if you are part of an adventuring party and no one else has anything to do with a house, right? Like part of your backstory is just these are the contacts that I know. These are the people who operate within a particular house. Can I get us passage on a lightning rail, even though we can't quite afford it, because I am a member of House Orion and I know people in, you know, in this particular town or enclave. Um, I can get us lodging at this enclave because you're all with me, you know? Right. Uh, do we need a line to find an inquisitive? Well, I'm a member of House Thrashk. I know every inquisitive within a hundred miles of here. Right. And then who's your patron in the house? If you have one, if you are in good standing with your house, you probably do have some sort of patron who can help you out in some way. And who is probably either saying, go out there and adventure or come on back. We need you here. Right. Then also pay attention to your interactions with members of other houses. You know that you can't be romantically involved. So that could be a source of conflict um, because nobody wants aberrant marks, but your house's might have goals that are different from your personal goals. You might be like at odds with somebody that you meet in your adventures, or you might have unlikely allies with somebody that you meet in your adventures that could cause greater political problems for your two houses. Yeah, and these can be completely different from the way that you personally feel about this other person from this other house. You might really like them and get along, and sometimes you are going to work together on projects, right? Like the houses need to get together sometimes in order to build 
great works or or to set prices right yeah exactly (laughs) uh but if now suddenly you're at odds in a trade dispute you need to work against this person and this actually could be happening within the same party especially if you have multiple house members from different houses within the same party yeah um those people are probably going to the going to be the only ones who can understand the pressures you're under as a member of a house, right? Like they're the only ones who have those types of relationships in Eberron. So maybe you can't find that friend in your house, but you could find them outside of your house. Right. They're still bound by the Korth edicts, just like you are. They can't own property. They can't necessarily decide who they're going to marry. They get that. Uh, your regular adventuring party companions maybe understand you in different ways, but don't quite understand all the pressures that you have grown up with since birth. Right. So there are a lot of ways that you can feel about non-marked people. I think the first and probably most obvious one is pity, right? You've been given this amazing gift. You have these ties. Um, you have these abilities and powers, and, and you have this intuitive knowledge of, you know, breeding animals or, you know, building wondrous contraptions or healing. And this person just doesn't. I mean, likewise, that could just be envy, right? Like that person doesn't have any of that responsibility and that duty and that like overhead to manage. They are free um, or at least free from this particular constraint. You can just do whatever it is that you want. You can study whatever it is that you want. Right. You can go to fighter college. Right. (laughs) I would love to go to fighter college. Um, You, of course, also get the like condescension right like you could just have privilege and lean into your privilege rather than necessarily like examining it right you don't feel bad for this person you just know that you're better than them and shouldn't they be serving you and why is it that you need to fight on the front lines that doesn't make any sense protect me fighter um i do think it's interesting think specifically about how you relate to craftspeople Right, because the houses ultimately are industrial houses, right? Like at the end of the day, you've probably spent some time in a forge, or you've probably spent some time like on the deck of a ship, or you know, on a lightning rail. Um, like you, you might have sort of more of a an affinity for the blue collar worker in Eberron than you might with some of the like political maneuvering class. Right. I like the idea that it can go sort of one of two ways. Like if you have a Kenneth artificer. It could be that when they meet a craftsperson, no matter what it is, a woodcutter, um, you know, a, a painter, they they have reverence or respect for that person because they are good at the craft. It could also be that they have disdain for them because no matter what they try to accomplish, it's never going to be quite as good as someone who's marked. Right. And so, you know, it's nice that you're, you know, playing with finger paints. I'm sure that makes you happy, but let's not call it artifice, okay? I mean, you could also have the condescension of like... Jeez, sure would be nice if you, like, just imagine what you could accomplish if you had half the talent I did. (laughs) (laughs) You're really, really good, but you'll only be that good. Or, I wish I worked as hard as you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I've never had to. (laughs) So, how do you respond to actual nobles on the continent? Because while you are referred to as a lord or a lady by virtue of being in a house, you are not technically a noble and you cannot hold noble titles. So you are you are not equal to a noble. You are still slightly, you are different and slightly below. Mm-hmm. You also like 
aren't necessarily a good like marriage or mate for a noble because you don't like you there's a good chance that you won't actually have an heir right like because if the heir is dragon marked they will have to go to the house and relinquish any title so it's it's difficult to, for a dragon marked person to produce an heir yeah you kind of need to keep nobility at arm's length and so it's it's difficult to get close and if you do get close, then there are 11 other dragon-marked houses who are going to be angry that a scion from this other house is close to a particular noble that they all would prefer to be close to. And also, like, you've got the Korth Edict, which would suggest that perhaps you should be a little more neutral than making out. Yeah. <laughs> so the one thing that all the houses can agree on is that none of them like people with aberrant dragon marks. There was, in fact, a war fought over... Uh, aberrant dragon marks trying to decide whether or not they counted as true dragon marks about 1800 years ago and basically everybody with an aberrant mark was exterminated of course I mean, others others have popped up since <laughs> that's the story <laughs> that's what they want you to think but of course like within every house there are people who would happily use aberrant marks to advance their own gains right like none of the houses are necessarily full of lawful good characters um there's all types in every house Mm -hmm. And then, of course, um, you know, we'll talk about this someday, but in Sharn, there is House Tarkanon, which is a startup house made simply of people with aberrant marks, which I believe is also a thieves guild. Uh -huh. <laughs> it is a criminal <laughs> enterprise. I think they're, they're assassins. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit of everything. <laughs> uh, one thing I like to think about also is how do you interact with your house-specific uh, touchstones? Like, for example, if you are a half-elf with a mark of storm, how do you feel about a large storm or a big storm front? Like, is it is it something that you revere? I mean, you you understand the power of the storm, right? But maybe it's an omen. Maybe you have superstitions about things like this. Or what happens when you run into a storm giant? Uh, are you much more likely to say, whoa, 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 wait, I did not know that storm giants were running this. I thought it was just hill giants and fire giants. Uh, we're going to go. You definitely deserve to be in charge of whatever it is you want to be in charge of. Yeah, like game recognize game. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could have the same kind of uh, relationship with like House Caneth and the intricate technology or like the um, little like mechanical creations of the Zill gnomes or like Warforged, right? Like Warforged are created by Caneth, but also like they're sort of a marvel in and of themselves. And not every member of House Caneth has access to a, um, a creation forge. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that basically every member of House Caneth is very sure that Warforged either do or do not have souls. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, they've definitely come down hard on a side. They know the answer. Right. <laughs> the other half is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with Vidalis and any animals. You know, do you view them as basically property to be bred in order to, you know, find the perfect mage bred companion? Or are they, you know, valuable in and of themselves because you have the ability to speak with them at times? You know, you you understand them in a way. Do you have an affinity for them beyond just a regular animal lover? Or, you know, how Sevis uh, with a mark of scribing and, you know, poets or, or just regular scribes or anyone who works with um, words or, or song. Is there a particular affinity? Does this mean more to you for some reason? And then also, how does your dragon mark character think about dragons? 
like true dragons, right? Like, are they the like progenitor of your mark? Like, are you called dragon marks because you have dragon's blood? Um, are you are they sort of interpreters of your fate? Do you respect them as oracles? Uh, do you fear them because of their power? And do you worry that your mark has made you more likely to show up on their radar? What happens when you run into one? And what happens when a dragon takes in an interest in your particular mark and wants to really get a close look at it? Uh-huh. Maybe wants to peel it off and see, <laughs> see what it looks like it on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So some reasons for adventuring if you are a dragon mark character. I think the most obvious one is you are adventuring on orders of the house. They have been You've been sent on a mission. And the flip side, you are adventuring to get away from the house. You are trying to avoid a mission. (laughs) You also might just be out here to win back your favor in the house. You know, you are on the outs for some reason, whatever that might be. It may not even be your fault, right? It could be something someone you are related to did, um, you know, failed coup, whatever it is. You want to prove that you are a valuable member and should be allowed back in. Uh, You also might be adventuring to experiment with your mark, to unleash the full power of your mark, or maybe to like put yourself in a situation where you have a chance of manifesting your mark. You know, maybe the house has forgotten that your family line was dragon marked, but you have not. And you're hoping against hope that your mark will appear. Yeah. I like this idea that, you know, the player knows that eventually the mark will manifest, but the character doesn't necessarily. Right. So like well, you've t- you've taken the sub race, but you just don't apply the abilities yet, and you're like, all right, pretty soon, like it's it's gonna happen. Yeah, let me let me just get my wizard level. Once I right. get my wizard level, then my <laughs> mark abilities take take hold. Uh, so classes that are good for dragon mark characters, obviously, this is suited uh, to you depending on which mark you have. But I would consider alternative options that a house would need. We talked about this a little bit, but every house needs spies and diplomats and administrators. They need priests who, you know, deliver last rites, right? Like houses are self-contained entities. They don't typically depend on other people or other organizations for what they need. So the entire supply chain is within the house. You Mm -hmm. need people to do all of those things. In combat, uh, pay attention to which abilities that might stem from your mark. Um, you know, something like a warlock could have a warlock patron that is their mark. <laughs> you know, like that could just be it. That's where all of their abilities are coming from. Like they just happen to have a very, very strong or ancient mark. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of a House Denaeth monk who. Which is House Denaeth? Uh, that is a mark of protection. So plus two con, uh, they are mercenaries. Uh, they're tougher than average and very good soldiers. And I, yeah, I just like the idea that they, um, they're not channeling key. They're not doing any kind of meditation. It's just their mark makes them really tough. They punch like a truck, you know, um, they shrug off uh, mental and physical effects. Poison doesn't matter to them. Why? Because my mark is tough. Yeah, my my superhero <laughs> is Captain America. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you know, any spellcasting class can just say that all of their spellcasting ability comes from a manifestation of the mark. Mm-hmm. And this is easier if you reflavor a lot of abilities. Um, I like the idea that 
if, for example, you're a wizard who's from House Orion, which is the Mark of Passage and, you know, has teleportation abilities, um, you're not casting shields, right? You're just teleporting six inches to the left mm-hmm. and things are missing you. Right. You know, just just make it look different. Make it manifest differently so that people understand and people in the game, like in the fictional world of the game go, oh, I know you. I, I know where you're from. Right. That doesn't necessarily have to be all members of the house doing that, of course. Right. But um, it, it's definitely cool for a single character. Um, and then also think about how enemies feel about facing a house scion. Uh, just by being in a combat, you have somewhat escalated the stakes for most people. Um, specifically for members of other houses, they might fit. They might be unwilling to fight to the death. Uh, whereas, you know, lowborn or, um, you know, nobles might be more willing to kill you to silence you. Right. Uh, you could even have footpads who tried to rob you and now tore, tore aside your cloak and can now see the dragon mark in your arm. Do they run away because they're terrified of calling down the wrath of the house? Or do they make sure that you're dead so there's no evidence? Uh-huh. Or both. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you out here adventuring? Oh, I'm avenging uh, my sibling who was murdered by footpaths. Right. <laughs> so for skills, I think it's probably easier to lean into the abilities granted by your mark. You're going to get an additional uh, bonus to one or two skills that people in your house are good at. In most game systems, it's better to have one big bonus. It's better to specialize rather than, than to be like, kind of okay it's something that you get a small bonus to but like if you want you can also just be like yep uh you know i'm a fighter but i'm also pretty good at uh, dealing with animals and that helps me when i'm riding into combat but also like weasels really like me for some reason (laughs) that's my thing this bag of rats is super thrilled to be here yeah these these are sentient creatures and i refuse to let you harm them in any way i am taking these with me (laughs) whirlwind attack (laughs) (laughs) action surge so in terms of magic and uh, magic items there are dragon mark focus items yeah they use zebra shards to help uh focus the abilities and the magic of a dragon mark Uh, sometimes they can give additional uses of the spells or abilities that a dragon mark gives and also keep in mind that pretty much all of these items require a sybaris shard so how do you feel when you come into contact with just regular sybaris shards or sybaris shards out in the wild or if you've been sent to go retrieve sybaris shards Mm mm-hmm There are also some iconic items associated with some of the houses, things like lightning rails, airships, creation forges, speaking stones. Like these are only usable by marked characters, but they're sort of iconic across the world. Everybody understands what they are and more or less how they work. Yeah, there are a lot of items in Eberron that are commonplace that are created by the houses, but anyone can use them like a cleansing stone, right? This is Mm -hmm. just what's inside a, a public bathroom basically. And it, cleans your hands and i'm pretty sure you know caneth mass produces them and sends them everywhere and they're in every like galanda um in right anyone can use those things it doesn't matter but every single airship every elemental galleon every lightning rail has a marked person inside it that is operating it 
and they cannot be operated by anybody else. So if you are a member of House Orion and you see a lightning rail, you know that there is a marked member of your house inside. Otherwise, it wouldn't be working. Right. So I think part of the fun of playing in Eberron is that you have this complicated world where you can pull in many different things. Um, and being a Dragon Mark character automatically ties you to probably at least two or three of the large pillars of the game. You know, you've got uh, the house, which is based in a nation, uh, which has a particular skill or intrigue or plot or plan that you are likely going to get wrapped up in. And it is a really great way to dive full on into Eberron, get wrapped up in uh, convoluted plots that you're either going to try to extricate yourself from or drag the rest of the party into along with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's great if everybody has a dragon mark or if you have one or two people with a dragon mark. Like I think dragon mark houses having at least one of them having an eye towards the party because one of their members is in it. Um, I think adds a wrinkle to an Eberron game that isn't mandatory, but feels like you're kind of missing out if you don't include that. Right. Like if you don't deal with the war or Warforged or dragons in some way, like you just kind of missed some of the flavor of the setting. Yeah. Like, and I think unfortunately, like in fifth edition, so much has been Sharn focused. Um, and like particularly kind of like a lot of it seems to be like kind of lower order Sharn focused where you could conceivably run that like noir investigation game where you don't really get into house politics because you stay below it and more secular. Um, I feel like that's still missing one of the really cool parts of Eberron. So you, you kind of want to make sure that you elevate your game into those spheres. Mm-hmm. So enjoy. Have at it. There's a new book. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, that is definitely my house telling me that I've got a new mission and we need to leave immediately before they find out where we are. All right. Let's leap out the window and use our feather tokens uh, to get to the character creation forge and roll up some companions. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. You can also join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Are you looking for a great story? Do you love Star Wars? Do you like podcasts? If you said yes to any of these, check out the Redemption Podcast. Well, I have less in my head than you do normally, probably. You haven't met the crew I'm with. Pretty much everywhere we go, our life is in danger. Things didn't explode. That's pretty sneaky for us. That sounds horrible. Yes, please finish up whatever underhanded thing you're doing on the computer terminals at the Jedi Temple. Check out Redemption Podcast at www.redemptionpodcast.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Blade of Orion, which is, for those of you who might recall, a 3.5 prestige class in the Dragon Marked book. They're an Orion soldier who uses teleportation for both mobility and offense. Uh-huh. Well, I I feel like I've heard of one of these. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Forgive me for thinking perhaps there's some ranger flavor here. Uh, it's it's a possibility. <laughs> what do we have? All right, it is Horizon Walker Ranger 17. Okay, so just a little flavor. <laughs> uh-huh. Battlemaster Fighter 3. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, this is a nice opportunity for us to finally use all that teleporting from the Horizon Walker. All right, so what do we have here? So uh, obviously, our... race is Marco Passage Human. Okay, so that'll give us plus two dex, plus one intelligence. Right, a... it's plus one any, but we'll go with intelligence. Okay, uh, 35 feet walking speed, a plus D4 to our acrobatics and land vehicles checks. You get Misty Step once per day at first level. That's great. That's actually great. That's a second level spell. Yeah. Uh, and you also get uh, access to, if once you have uh, other spell casting, like when you hit the appropriate levels, you have access to ex- Expeditious Retreat, Misty Step as a spell, Blink, Phantom Steed, Dimension Door, Teleportation Circle, the vast majority of the good teleportation spells. Yeah. And of course, Rangers will get fifth level spells at level 17. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> So from Ranger, Horizon Walker also gives you a few other great spells. Haste, Banishment, of course, Cure Wounds, Healing Spirit, Pass Without Trace, and Hunter's Mark. You will also get some favorite enemies, so you'll pick races of other dragon-marked houses. Yeah, I think these are more more likely to be your enemies. I would probably start with Human, because there are four other <laughs> dragon-marked houses that uh-huh. are made up of humans. Uh, humans and half elves because yep. that involves Lorander as well, who are your biggest competition in the shipping trade. <laughs> you get additional ones. I think up to you get three options and you can pick two humanoids each. So that's six altogether. So then you can pick up elves and halflings. Mm-hmm. And then for your last one, you can do dwarves. And then your choice, whether it's going to be gnomes from Sevis or half orcs uh, or half orcs, right? Or Thrashk. <laughs> Natural Explorer, again, two options here. You can either pick the terrains where the lightning rail does go so that if you're on the lightning rail or stationed on the lightning rail, Natural Explorer always works for you. Or you can be an adventurer and know that if you're traveling through places where there's a lightning rail, you'll be on the lightning rail, so who cares? Pick things where the lightning rail doesn't go, like the coast or like the underdark, which I guess would be Kyber in this instance. Right, yeah. Or you're like useful for scouting out new locations for that lightning rail. Right. <laughs> You get a fighting style, defense, or dueling is nice here, plus you'll get extra attack. So your cool stuff from being a um, Horizon Walker, you'll get Planar Warrior, which as a bonus action, you can add 1d8 and then later 2d8 to your damage from an attack. And then you'll get Ethereal Stride, which once per short rest, you can go Ethereal till the end of the round. Now, when you're Ethereal, you can move through solid objects. You can also move up or down. Uh, you'll move at half your speed, but that's fine because you have access to haste. So you'll just be walking through walls or flying up through walls. That looks a lot like teleportation, but it is also very handy because you don't need line of sight. Yeah. Uh, you'll also get the land stride and vanish abilities, which are uh, lame ribbons that should have been removed, but here we are. They're also very flavorful, though, because you are also a mail courier by trade. <laughs> yeah, so I guess you can quickly get to difficult locations to deliver the mail. <laughs> Uh, or I suppose take 10 minutes to hide from anybody who might ambush a poor little <laughs> mail carrier who's happens to be like what level 14 you know, or you're something? hiding from wargs right uh-huh. <laughs> isn't that the mail carrier's bane 
<laughs> at level 11, you'll get Distance Strike, which lets you teleport up to 10 feet before each of your attacks. And if you attack two different creatures, then you can make a third attack against a, a yet another one. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get Spectral Defense, which gives you resistance to damage from an attack, uh, which is better than Uncanny Dodge. Yeah, because you don't have to see the attack in order to get the resistance. Now, Fighter is here because what the heck do you do with all this teleporting? Like, Distance Strike actually isn't that great because you're just dividing up your damage. Well, you get four superiority dice when you're a Battlemaster, and one of the maneuvers that you're going to take is Goading Attack, which gives disadvantage on attacks against everyone but you for one round. So the entire point of Fighter is to teleport in, start slashing some people, and then teleport away. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then force them to come to you or waste <laughs> Th- their attacks. Through your allies, ideally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or through this wall, like this giant stone wall that I have ethereal stepped through. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, you'll get um, the other fighting style that you didn't pick, Second Wind and Action Surge. So in terms of leveling order, you probably start five levels of ranger to get your extra attack, then take your three levels of fighter, and then just keep going ranger the whole way. So Shane, who is your Blade of Orion? Uh, So I joked about it, but I think my Blade of Orion is actually a scout um, for the lightning rail. You know, like before you can put in the rail, you got to make sure that you understand the territory that it's going through. You got to make sure you've got all the contracts and acquisitions in place. You've got to make sure that there are no, um, you know, uh, native inhabitants that could cause any, uh, unnecessary resistance to the price of progress, which of course in Eberron is almost as certain to be like a group of humans or half elves as it is to be a group of goblins or orcs. Um, and you know, basically like you've got to be there to then as they're building the rail, Make sure that it's safe, right? You've got to protect it a little bit. You need warriors to keep your uh, workers safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if you're trying to expand the rail into some distant place, it's probably good to start at the, the target location and then sort out the middle. So you are a corporate goon. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there are lots of dangerous places here in Eberron. A highway runs through it. <laughs> How about your Blade of Orion? My Blade of Orion is a saboteur okay. tasked with going undercover on airships to make sure that passengers don't have a particularly great time. Maybe okay. uh, make sure that the ship doesn't get to its final destination. So 35% of airship hauntings are known to be ethereal blades of, or- of Orion? <laughs> this is just a fact? Everyone uh, knows this? Yes, of course. Uh, that cons- particular conspiracy theory is definitely true. <laughs> so remember... You've got a plus D4 to your acrobatics. That is very helpful for maintaining your balance uh, on an airship when you're standing where you're not supposed to be, like on top of the cabin or or on the rigging or on the Sybaris shard. <laughs> <laughs> About to stab it. And release About the to fire free an elemental. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now you may be thinking, uh-oh, but won't you die if that airship crashes? Well, if you can just make sure that you've got one minute to cast teleportation circle and get the hell out of there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it takes a long it's coasting down right it's crashing slowly well hang on what if you're like crashing but at the very last minute you jump and misty step <laughs> uh let's just say it doesn't uh maintain your momentum right you'll you know, be it's fine like, it's like a crashing elevator if you just jump right before you hit the bottom you'll be safe what if you just get inside your bag of holding <laughs> <laughs> right at the end uh, you could also you know potentially go ethereal and then 
fly to, you know, a, a waiting cliff or to an escape pod or to, you know, another uh, person who's uh, who's come to rendezvous with you to get out of there. To a conveniently passing lightning rail. Huh. Interesting. I like how we're both playing the worst possible members of House Orion. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, regular members of House Orion are train conductors and mailmen. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I do kind of like, like House Orion is one of those like more or less sort of noble profession kind of houses. Um, And yet we have decided to play the goons. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that as a campaign idea, though. You got to maintain your competitive edge. (laughs) Right. You're just black ops for uh, House Orion. (laughs) Yeah, for um, uh, the steel magnate. <laughs> yeah, next we're going trust busting. <laughs> right. Hey, welcome to Orion Town. You got any Orion bucks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no, we wouldn't be trust busting. We would be like breaking the pickets, right? Oh, God. Um, you get uh, Thrashk uh, and their Pinkertons. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> we wrap up here. Let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about playing online. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the webmaster. Well, that's (laughs) it for episode 228 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Hero Forge. Hero Forge offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of parts to choose from. They've got an easy-to-use design tool that lets you build your perfect miniature online using a fully 3D in-depth character creator right in your web browser. Ishan, I gotta confess, we uh-huh. are going back to playing Dark Sun in our home game, and I have a miniature for my character in Dark Sun, but I'm still so tempted to build a little elemental with fiery hair to represent my fire genasi. I kind of like the idea of having my main miniature and then printing other versions of my same miniature, but in different poses. Uh, better outfits. <laughs> Depending on, you know, what we're wearing or what time of day it is or, you know, uh, whether I'm in, like, my combat parka or yeah, whatever. Is, is this my traveling cloak or my dinner party cloak? <laughs> right. Either way, I don't want to get it dirty. <laughs> also, I don't know why I have a combat parka in Dark Sun. Because <laughs> I have a death wish. Right. So you can print your custom mini in a variety of materials, including plastic or metal. Or you can download the model files and 3D print them at home. Now, this holiday season, you can surprise the gamer in your life with a Hero Forge gift card, which are delivered instantly via email and can be used to purchase all of the different minis on the site. You can click a link in the show notes to grab your gift cards today, or you can head to www.heroforge.com slash hashtag gifts to get the card now.